Welcome to the Betterism Podcast, a learning community seeking out life's unusual lessons from its unlikely places. I'm your host, Glenn Binger, author, teacher, and coach, and I'm here to help spark some collective growth. I hope you'll stick around and teach us a thing or two, but first, a few words from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is a magical fungi supplement company. No, we're not talking magic mushrooms. We're talking natural organic fungi. Lion's mane, chaga, turkey tail, reshi, uh, cordyceps, you name it. They have all different kinds of products available on their website. Um, Blends that will help you think. uh, Blends that will help you defend and build up your immune system. Um, adaptogens that will help you chill out and relieve some of the stress of day-to-day life, especially this day and age. Um, Four Sigmatic has a lot of educational content on their website as well. If you click on their Learn tab up top, they actually have something called the Mushroom Academy, which is very helpful. Uh, It's where I learned about the different fungi, mushrooms, and what they do specifically. Personally, I'm a big fan of their Think Blend or their Think Coffee Grinds. With lines main and chaga really kind of sets my brain on fire when I'm sitting down to write or record or put something together for a project I'm working on. Um, they have all kinds of products from proteins to coffee blends to uh, extracts. Um, check them out at foursigmatic.com. That's four spelled out F O U R S I G M A T I C.com. If you use the promo code betterism at checkout, you can save 10% off your order. That's foursigmatic.com. This episode is brought to you by a brand new podcast called The Discontents, The Disappearance of a Young Radical. It's actually an audiobook by indie author James Wallace Birch. It's a narrative style podcast, and it's an adaptation of his cult classic novel split into podcast episodes. I believe there's eight in total. It's available for free on anchor.fm slash James Wallace Birch or wherever you get your podcasts. The novel itself, of the same name, has a four-star rating on Goodreads. It's the first book in the gripping mystery of the 2011 disappearance of Emery Walden, notorious graffiti artist. Um, it is a highly captivating listen. I recommend you check it out as soon as you can. Enjoy. All right, hi, friends. Welcome to the Betterism Podcast. Today we've got a special guest, bleh, special guest, Mateen Manek. Uh, did I say that right? I said that right, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's a filmmaker, a producer, a founder uh, of the Curious Society. Mateen, welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? Doing well for what it is, for how, uh, how things are kind of unfolding here. Don, I know yeah. you're, in, you're uh, Canadian-based, right? Canadian-based, yeah, in yeah. Toronto. Toronto. So it's not too far from where I'm at in New Jersey, but I know like the uh, society has been <laughs> different between Canada and America lately. So, um, you know, there's that. There's that whole thing. We won't get into that, but yeah, for sure, it's been a little stressful. Other than that, though, I feel like you know we're 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 trying to make do. We're trying to. Uh, we just my wife and I just moved, um, so we're trying to kind of make time for our normal creativity, but also manage the new home projects that are continuously popping up. We keep joking. We're like. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Money Pit with Tom Hanks, but we keep joking about 
be in the money pit. Like, you know, you fix one thing and like four other things break. <laughs> yeah. I totally feel that. That's like every day around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's part of life. You know, you got to be, uh, you take it with stride and be grateful for the, the steps and the obstacles that you're encountering. So enough yeah. about me though. Let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about you. I want to talk about your work. Um, sure. I guess we can kind of start off with your, your filmmaking. I mean, that's where I kind of, you and I linked up online somewhere. I want to say it was either Instagram or medium or YouTube. I don't know. One of those, but mm-hmm. So the thing that kind of linked me to you was your your artistic style with your filmmaking. Um, it, you know, it wasn't like your standard like you know influencer <laughs> status where like you're trying to like paint a picture that's not actually there. I mean, the thing that stands out in my mind was like, and the thing that kind of gravitated me towards you because I, I love coffee. But you, you had these whole like video series of like preparing coffee. Uh, I think it was like a year or so ago, maybe. But yeah, yeah. You know, once I saw that, I kind of like gravitated to you, and I noticed that like your, what you were doing and what you were making had this authenticity, which is a vibe that kind of comes up on Betterism a lot. But it had this like realness factor to it, and it was so refreshing. Um, outside of you know what you normally see on Instagram and YouTube of like these like just people trying to make videos to make money and stuff, where I could tell is like not that money's not a thing, right? There, of course, there's a financial aspect there, but you had this artistic style and you had this, this drive to like make videos and put your heart into every little thing you were doing. And that I feel like I connected very well with. So why don't we start there? Why don't we start off with your, your filmmaking? What inspired you or what got you started in that industry, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, well, actually like my journey into filmmaking started, I would say about 10 years ago. Um, So for the longest time, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be an actor but I never had time to like go for auditions or anything. So I came up with this really crazy idea of just making my own films. So I'd like write the film out and then I'd get my camera and just make whatever I could. That's so cool. And, and slowly I started falling in love. At first I hated making movies. Like I thought it was just such a tedious process and I just wanted to do the acting, but then I fell in love with writing, especially, and like the whole editing process and what you can really do with the camera. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how I got started. Yeah, it's like the the art of storytelling, right? I mean, everyone tells a story differently, but I mean, I, I feel like there's that natural human draw to like tell a story, no matter what it, medium it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you always want to kind of just express something. And I feel like storytelling always allows that to kind of, like, get, you know, get your words out in a way that you probably can't yourself. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And, of course, with filmmaking, you have the whole, like, visual aspect, right? So, like, for me, you know, I I consider myself a writer across genres, and I've dabbled Mm -hmm. in, like, writing for screen and stuff, but I've never really pursued it because, for me, it, it is kind of difficult to, you know, kind of write out how something it should look or be seen. But I mean, that's an aspect that like when you're planning, you kind of have to, you kind of have to like think about how it's going to look on top of what it is you're writing. So, I mean, do you have any like strategies there to kind of like, how do you get what's in your brain? Like this visual image, this visual story, how do you get that out? Like what's your process? I think my process always starts, uh, like I always turn on or I find a piece of music, like one song or something that really cat captures the 
the the mood of what I'm trying to go for mm. and and that really drives a lot of my creative process like there are a lot of screenplays that I have that are named after songs um basically telling you which song inspired me yeah but um that's usually my first process but I do a lot of like drawings on the side just in case like I have any particular shots that I want to get um and especially when I write my first draft it's all over the place just because I have so many ideas especially when you're sure. doing a lot of like visual stuff it's just so many ideas you want to get out and just have there so you have it as reference um but yeah I would I would say that that's pretty much it but music plays a huge part in terms of developing the mood and 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 really kind of showing me where the story will go and and who the character is. Yeah. I feel like that that audio is such an equivalent piece when you're telling, you know, a story through film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it often goes so like un unrecognized. Um, you know, unless it stands out to the point where it's like in your face, but like a lot of times and even if it's just like not necessarily music but just like harmonics or or melodies that kind of a tribute to the emotion you're trying to get out. I always found that fascinating. So how do you pick? Yeah. Do you do you like listen to a song and then the idea comes to you or do you have an idea and then you try to find a song or music that matches it? It's usually um most of the time it's I I'm listening to a song and the idea comes to me or a specific scene comes to me and then I build around that. Mm. Um, but there's been times where I've come up with like an idea or a character and I kind of try to f- hunt for the right music. Yeah. Um, but I find that that actually kind of slows it down just cause like any piece of music can kind of change what you think about the scene or the character. And so there's a lot of times where I delay projects and then I hear a new song and it changes how I think about that, uh, that piece of writing and and uh and it's actually cool because then you can see kind of two different sides of the story and where like you kind of get to choose where you want to take it and, yeah and that's actually been a lot of fun that does sound fun i feel like yeah. like for me when i'm writing like i'm working on a novel right now right and of course nice. that's a different style thank you that's a different style of writing but a lot of times you know i, I like to listen to music or some sort of um auditory experience to kind of assist that and a lot of times i'll find like i'll be writing the scene and and i you know i keep coming back to it i'm something about it is off and then all of a sudden like you know a song will come on in my shuffle or you know this i'll i'll pick a specific album for that session of writing and it will completely alter the scene in a way that's like I didn't realize it was meant to be that way, but it kind of just came to fruition on its own. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. it affected how the scene portrayed itself. So do you find that happening with your style writing for the, for the film and for visuals as well? I mean, I imagine it affects that. Yeah, absolutely. All the time. I mean, there's so many moments where I'm stuck in my writing and I don't know where to go next. And so I'll let it sit for a few days and, and just like that, like I'll have a music, like a piece of music that I either either discover um, that week or just comes on randomly um, while I'm shuffling through my songs. And then it just it makes everything kind of tie together perfectly. And um, and it takes into a whole new direction. But I, I love that because it's so exciting um, to kind of see an idea go from where you thought it would go to a completely new direction. 
don't know if you've ever had that with a piece of writing, but it's it's just it's really cool. It's almost like a second wind almost like it hits mm-hmm. you and you're like, oh, well, now I just now I know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, finish the marathon almost. Um, and that doesn't always happen. Of course, there are hiccups along the way. But like a lot of times you turn that corner, you know, you, you kind of have this realization. And then all of a sudden, like you just find the energy to like keep pouring into it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, too. I mean, you know, especially with film. I mean, again, you're not just writing to be read. You're writing to be seen. So there's, of course, your audience is, has a little bit of a different, um, I guess, perspective or lens that they're kind of looking for, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I've always found that fascinating. It's it's much different to write for that audience than it is, you know, f- versus writing a novel, so to speak, or a poem or whatever, right? And of course, you're yeah. all it's all tied together with that emotional aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you have like a set as far as music goes or I guess auditory goes? Do you have a set like go to that you always try to experiment with first before you start branching out? Or is it kind of just like depending on what it is you're writing? It usually depends on what I'm I'm writing, but there are a few songs that I find or a few artists, I should say, that tend to inspire me most. Like um, there's one band called The National. Mm. And I would say they've they've inspired like a lot of um, the the writing that I've done. I just find their their writing is almost like a soundtrack for me, so I I tend to use them a lot. But I I I don't know in terms of it's really anything that could inspire me. Like um, and it's usually like while I'm I'm doing like like I'll be driving and and all of a sudden I get hit with a wave of inspiration. <laughs> But then I've got to focus on the driving otherwise, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. But That's yeah, the, the voice notes come in handy on your phone because you can't, like, obviously you can't write anything down, but you, like, kind of, mm-hmm. like, you know, I always pull up my, my record app and I'm like, all right, remember this for later. Type it out later. <laughs> oh, that's smart. I should do that. Usually, like, I'm just, like, r- repeating the idea in my mind and as soon as I stop the car, pull up my phone and just put everything in my notes. Mm. But, but by then, you don't remember everything. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so I think I might try the voice notes now. That's <laughs> uh, interesting you say that. I, yeah. I do that, like, uh, memorization technique, I guess, when I'm mm-hmm. in bed. So I don't I don't have, like, a, a bed stand, especially with the move right now. It's kind of crazy. But, like, I don't have, like, a bed stand with a lamp next to it. And a lot of people mm-hmm. I know have, like, they keep a little, like, notebook or something, you know, moleskin to kind of jot down their ideas. But I don't have that. And I don't like looking at my phone when I'm already in bed because I'm trying to, you know, get the blue light out of my system. Mm-hmm. So I'll sit there as I'm falling asleep and try to try to like create this little like mantra in my mind to remember what it is the idea is that I want to write. So like when I wake up, it's kind of like there. It doesn't always work and I'm sure it's inefficient, but <laughs> it's so funny that you <laughs> mentioned that because I do that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually that I do that all the time too because I leave my phone and all my notebooks outside of my room. Uh, but mm. of course you get hit with an idea in the middle of the night. And so I have to like either I have to get up and actually go, but I'm like ex- incredibly tired. Yeah. And um, and I try not to turn on the lights in our in our apartment just because we have a guinea pig. And anytime he sees that there's light, he will demand food. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to like sneakily write things in the notebook with like no light whatsoever. Yeah. And then that's just gotta go be back tough. to bed. Yeah. Right. And then trying to reread it the next morning, you're 
it's like all scribbles and stuff. Like, what the hell was I saying? And then you know it's an important idea. You know it's an important idea when you have to get like out of bed, right? Like, all right, I I know I'm gonna forget this, and I gotta stand up, and I gotta go write this down, and not wake up any of my pets, you know, or my partners or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, this is an idea you have to remember, and so it's worth it. <laughs> so how do you? Let me ask you that. How do you? Mm-hmm. When you have an idea, and we kind of talked about like you know driving or or sleeping, but in mm-hmm. general. If you have an idea for something, how do you kind of keep track of your thoughts there? I mean, of course, like if you're sitting down at your, you know, your computer, or your desk, whatever, you have a system set up. But like, because our brains don't work like that, right? Like our brains just mm-hmm. kind of come up with ideas randomly. So if mm-hmm. you kind of, as a creative, you have this thing that like kind of sparks in your mind and you're in the middle of doing something else. Do you have some sort of technique to kind of keep that in mind and revisit it? Or do you kind of just let it go. And if it comes back, that means it's important. Like, do you have a system there or technique? Yeah. So I I have a notebook that I specifically have for any kind of notes or ideas that I have. And typically anytime I come up with an idea, like you said, like it's not always very clear how it comes to you. So I'll usually free write it in my notebook, just anything that comes to mind, any details, either full sentences or point form, but just to kind of mm. get whatever the idea is, especially any visual cues. So like um, if there's any specific locations or scenes that I'm thinking of, I'd write those down. Um, any type of mood, any comparisons to other films, um, but just anything that I'm thinking of. And I just kind of just dump it on a page um, in no like orderly fashion. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of just you know, let that breathe for a bit. So I'll I'll put the notebook away, do whatever I have to later. And then I'll come back to that, read the notes and kind of try to pull the pieces back together and then see where I go from there. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's always tricky too. I feel like when you're, when you're reviewing your notes, sometimes like I find for me, at least I find like I, I wrote something down. I'm like, what the hell did I mean by that? You know, yeah. but then other times it's like I'll have like a bullet point written down and I'll go to like examine it. But then the idea on that one bullet point becomes like six bullet points. Right. It expands like as I'm mm-hmm. reviewing it and it turns into this whole like mini editing process where it's like, well, that that works, but this doesn't work. All right. This previous bullet point like didn't make any sense. I got to get rid of it kind of thing. Right. And I always find like my my physical notebooks, the ones that I write in and stuff, the ones that like no one are ever going to read are always the messiest, right? There's like that messy aspect of creativity that kind of comes before the final project, before you even start, you know, the manuscript or typing out, you know, the actual rough draft or whatever it is. There's like that, that period of, of adjustment where you're trying to kind of, uh, at least polish up the idea itself before you start even working on the final product. You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I think, you know, when I go back to look at my notebook, the first thing that happens is I question everything about the story. Like, you know, like, why would the character do this? That doesn't make mm, sense. Yeah. And and so then I've got to find solutions. And then usually that's when one point becomes like seven points or yep, when I have to yep. like cut things out completely. And yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's like your original idea is kind of getting modified it modified. Sorry. Um, okay. But I actually kind of, I love that process. Like I've, I've started to like that. You can start to make sense of something that didn't make sense originally. And 
and uh, it can take things in a very interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating to think about that too. Now, has that, has that always been your process or have you found like over time and the more you kind of, you know, the deeper you dove into your creative side, did that process change at all over time? Uh, yeah, it did. I would say, um, you know, when I, when I first started out, I would literally, um, set aside specific times where I would write, but I wouldn't go through the whole process of like writing down notes, um, you know, like, like point form or, you know, like free writing, I would typically just go straight into the script. Um, but the problem with that though, is that I would hit a lot of, um, issues especially with like you know the plot and everything and i think the biggest thing that always stopped me was names because i'm terrible with Mm. coming up with names for a character especially on the first the first go around yeah yeah exactly because i'm with you yeah i'm very picky about names the name has to reflect the character perfectly so then i have to go and research the names from like on the internet (laughs) looking up like baby names for some reason and yeah and and then their meetings and all that stuff right exactly yeah and like you know their significance and then finally uh like about 30 minutes later i've just completely lost all momentum because like i'm just more concerned about the names than anything else so that was my process before and it it wasn't great i would say like uh, there were a lot of ideas that i had that i unfortunately abandoned uh just because i got stuck on small things like that which is why then I started introducing more of the note taking and and just kind of having a notebook where I could just, you know, run free, not really worry about anybody seeing it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a process. And I'm sure it's going to change in the next few years as well as I continue to develop. But but yeah, I think it's it's all about finding something that works for you specifically. Yes. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad you brought up that aspect of like, continual progress because that i mean that's ultimately what it is you said you said you were doing this for approximately 10 years is that what you said earlier? yeah yeah so like i'm i'm in kind of in the same boat right like i've been you know writing in various different forms for 10 15 years now like seriously as opposed to just you know as a high schooler just kind of scribbling stuff but i've noticed my own process kind of evolve along the way as well and i feel like any good creative has to be open-minded to that process changing and, and be, Hmm. be aware that there is going to be progress there. Cause that's, you're striving for the progress. You're not striving for perfection. That kind of comes along the way, right? Like you'll, uh, you know, maybe 10 years from now, like, cause I have, I have a similar process, right? Like I have a Mm -hmm. notebook and when I first started, I remember trying to like sit down and just like, all right, I'm going to write a novel and just chapter one start. And like, obviously if any novelist will tell you like, that's not the best way to accomplish telling a story because then you, you know, you get, by the time you get chapter five, like now you decide you hate the name and now you got to go back and like revise everything. It's inefficient. Right. So the, (laughs) my process personally kind of, I reverted back to scribbling in notebooks and then took that notebook messiness, like we were just talking about and kind of started to organize it then, but I didn't start out that way. Right. Like I started out a totally different foot. So I feel like, as a creative, it's important to kind of take that in stride and understand that like your your process might as well change as you continue your craft and, and try to improve your craft, no matter what it is, right? Like we're talking about film and novels and stuff, but that's mm-hmm. those are just two small niche areas, right? That goes for anything, right? I mean, even like you, you listen to any of like the 
famous like investors who talk about like you know where you want to put your money and stuff like even their processes kind of you could they talk about how like they changed right and i i ramit sethi's coming to mind right now but he talks about how like mm-hmm. he originally started like believing in the whole invest in a home because you're going to live there and stuff and then like now he's all about preaching against buying a house unless you know you want to raise a family there and stuff right so in my mind it's like no matter what the product is that you're trying to uh, quote unquote make perfect the progress that you're making along your process is going to change no matter how deep you are into that career yeah exactly i 100 percent agree with that and i think I, I remember reading this this thing recently. I can't remember who said it, but they said like, and this could apply to anybody, but they said, you know, as a filmmaker, you have to realize that you're always going to be learning and mm. you have to, you know, be okay with that. And and I think that's like reflecting on that now, I think that's one of the most fun parts about, you know, being a creative is the fact that you're continuously learning, you're continuously refining your skills and you know, you're, you're able to kind of try new things, see where you can kind of go from from there and see the progress as you go along. Like I look at my first, my first few films of of this year, even. And I'm just amazed at like, how far I've come and, and the different decisions that you know, you make and the things that you know, now based off of previous uh, experiences. And, and I think, you know, like, that's the, the best part of it. Yeah. I mean, we humans are we're hardwired to learn. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. even if you're not aware of it, like you're still learning. And I feel like the the more conscious you are of that fact, the more you're able to look back and reflect and look at like your previous things. Not necessarily that they were failures or mistakes, but like learn from like the little things that maybe no one even noticed. Like, oh, this angle on this one shot, like really annoys me. But no one would notice Mm -hmm. it. Right. Except you, because it's your, you know, your your baby. Right you have to be open-minded to those little tweaks but also be aware of them because if you're not and you keep making that same thing and you're like man i use the same angle again i wish i should i wish i changed my camera setup right like you're you're Mm kind of setting yourself up to like not make that growth that's almost mandatory for any creative right that's how you become one of the greats that's how you become one of those legends it's like you you constantly are making little tweaks here and there to either the final project or your process along the way. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, again, that's kind of what drew me into your work. I, you know, one of the things we were talking about the whole like coffee series you were doing a little while Mm -hmm. back, but like, I remember you openly on your, I think it was on your Instagram story to be honest, but like talking about how like, Oh, you know, product came out good. I liked the video, but like, I really don't like the way that this one shot came out. Right. And that, that to me, like that sparked one of the things like, oh, this guy gets it. Like he <laughs> he's aware <laughs> he wants to learn. He wants to improve his craft. Right. And here we are, mm-hmm. like you said, like, you know, you're so later and you're you're commenting the same thing. Like I looked back at my films from pre this year. Right. You were just saying that. Like I I think going back and looking at your old work is inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I, even if it's your like I'm you know, you, yourself, but also like any listener out there, if you go back and look at your own stuff, like there's a sense of like, this sucks. But at the same time, if you're, if you're able to analyze, like we were just talking about why you think it sucks, that's where the feedback and the improvement come from, right? You make the next step, you change the next thing, you make the next progress. 
and then mm-hmm. you move on to the next project. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And I, I think you have to be in that, that mindset that you're okay with what you made and you're proud of what you made, but you know that there are um, things that you could work on. And, and yeah. that was something I, it took me a long time to realize that, to be honest. So like when I used to make films 10 years ago, I remember I made my first ever short film and, you know, we submitted to film festivals, but I was, to be honest, I was embarrassed of that film. Like I used to think like, this is nothing compared to, you know, the the films that we see in movie theaters and all that. Like this is right. this is cringy in a way. And then I remember watching it two years ago because my boss found out that I made films and she's like, I want to see one of them. So this is the only one I had. So I showed it to her and I remember watching that and I'm like, you know, I I I make fun of this film a lot, but it's actually not bad. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, for our first attempt, like it's right. it's a really good job. And I think then I realized that, you know, you have to be proud of what you made because you made it right. Like, right. That's, right. that's already phenomenal. Um, and it, it's OK to, you know, have something that's not perfect, but it's that strive for perfection and that constant strive for, for, for perfection that will make you better. Yeah. Mm hmm like the acceptance of what brought you to the here and now right like exactly you it's okay to look back at your old projects and say like this sucks but mm-hmm. it's also okay to look back at your projects and say this is really good for what it was right there's a there's a piece of context there it's like mm-hmm. it was my first project right like yeah you know at then i thought it was awesome but now looking back with my experience like it's not as great as it could have been but i'm going to use those criticisms my self criticisms to kind of improve the next thing which mm-hmm. I think is an, that's an important part of the creative process. You know, yeah. that's why you like people who expect like a quick turnaround. It's just not it's not feasible. I mean, unless you're trying to play the game, quote unquote, you know, mm-hmm. of course, there's the whole, you know, in it for the money side of things, which I hope people kind of shy away from at some point. Yeah. But I mean, that's the only way to get better. It's the only way to improve your craft, no matter what the craft is. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think it goes uh, like just beyond creatives as well, because I remember yeah. I, was, I was working as an ESL teacher and, you know, for, for a lot of like English learners, there's so many different difficulties you deal with. So yeah. I remember when going through feedback, I would always make them start by asking themselves, you know, what did you do well in this um, speaking test or uh, written test or whatever it was? I always ask them, what did you do well? And I would ask them to at least come up with three things that they were happy with mm-hmm. before we get on to the um, what you want to improve on in things. Just because there were a lot of students I could tell where their first instinct was to say nothing because they were just uh, really upset with their, yeah. you know, their performance. But I don't think you, you should think like that, right? Like the fact that, you know, you, you were even able to do it, if, um, whatever it is, it, it's that should be something worth celebrating absolutely it's all about it's all about that that balance the mm-hmm. realistic balance of saying and being able to acknowledge the good and the bad right mm-hmm. if you lean too much in one direction good or bad right then you're not you're not painting yourself in the best of light and again like we talked about like our brains are just subconsciously wired to absorb everything so if you're not careful about you know how many goods versus how many bads you're absorbing, like it could create that. And this happens to me all the time. Like I get 
it could create like this this block almost, right? Like I get writer's mm-hmm. block the worst when I look back at my old projects and I'm like, oh, this sucked. This was terrible. Why did I do this? You know, and yeah. you come up with a bullet list. And if you're not careful, like you fall into this trap of like negative self-talk, which does not help any future work, right? You have to be able to like take those negatives, so to speak, but also acknowledge that there are positives and find the balance between the two. Because that, mm-hmm. that, that criticism, that balanced criticism, that's how we progress. Again, like you said, regardless of your industry, it doesn't have to be creativity. And I see that all the time. And, you know, I'm a teacher too. So like I, I teach mm, yeah. English in class and I, you know, I, I try to do the same thing with my students. You know, what are three things you think you did well in this piece? If you have more, say more, find me at least three things. Right. But then on mm-hmm. the same time, like after we have that conversation, it's like, okay, well, what are some things you didn't do well? And I try not to give a number to that, but like, what are some, what are a couple things that you think you could improve on for next time? Right. Trying to get that, trying to spark that mindset of like growth. How can I improve? How can I keep doing what I'm doing well, but also kind of tie in new techniques to improve the things that I'm not doing well. Yeah, exactly. It's a fine line. I don't know. Um, (laughs) What are you, so what are you working on right now? I don't want to, you don't have to spoil anything, but what are your, uh, you got any projects going on right now? Uh, so I have a few client projects that I'm still working on just for their their businesses. Um, but I did write two short films that um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to produce one of them by the end of the year, if I can. Um, but I think yeah, those are the two things that I'm working on. And and I also I, I forgot about this project because I I keep forgetting that I have to work on this project. But I, I created a documentary. Um, because, uh, we had the, the holy month of Ramadan, which is where, you know, Muslims fast, Mm -hmm. uh, not too long ago. And it was during the pandemic. And, and typically this month is, is a very social month. You're always hanging out with your friends, uh, staying up until like 5am, just, you know, playing games or anything. And, and this, you know, because of the current situation, we just were not able to do that. So I, I thought it would be very interesting to kind of document, you know, my experience uh, with Ramadan um, this year, not being able to go out and kind of see, you know, how people would react, like people around me, my friends and all that. So we filmed everything and now I have to edit it. But it's just uh, it's something that like I keep postponing, even though I know I have to get to it at some (laughs) point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's also what I'm working on as well. Uh, the editing process, I hear you, yeah. man. That's always the biggest pain in the butt. <laughs> exactly. It's the so, thing you keep pushing on and on until you finally yeah. have to look at it in the eyes and finally deal with it. Yep. Hey, I'm at that point right now with the, like, the novel I was just saying. It's like I'm in yeah. second second draft of edits, but I hit, you know, because we're in the middle of a move too, like I kind of hit a block and now oh. it's like we're settled and I'm like, maybe I should do that, but I can, I can do X, Y, and Z for the house. So I'm going to do that instead, right? So I'm like kind of talking <laughs> myself out of it. But like I, I can totally empathize with that because it is a pain in the ass to do any kind of editing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, when it's a project that you actually care about and like you want to put your heart and soul into it, like you don't want to give it attention that's going to hurt it, right? You want to give mm-hmm. it your full undivided attention. And then on top of that, you know, you add your your professional life with like the thing that actually pays the bills and stuff. Like you have to kind of <laughs> manage the time there somehow. Yeah. 
Um, do you do so? There's a there's a big difference, I think, between documentaries and like, and I don't want to say storytelling, but like fiction, right? So mm-hmm. fictional versus documentary storytelling. Do you tend to gravitate towards one or the other? Um, I mean, nowadays, I think I'm gravitating more towards documentary, but I would say before 100%, I was completely narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like documentary, just because like a lot of the work I do has been more, you know, in the style of documentary, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, taking us like taking a business and trying to make a story from them um, is pretty much like like a, a kind of like a mini documentary in that sense. Um, but, but I would say, yeah, I would say it's, it's between both in a way, just cause like, like I love the narrative side, like that's where I started and I love making, you know, like narrative films. Um, but I'm also like learning kind of the process of making a documentary has been really interesting too. So, um, yeah. I don't know if that so, answered your question at all. No, it, it did. And that's kind of like where I wanted to go with it. Like I was going to ask next, like wh- what, are, what are the differences between storytelling for fiction versus storytelling for, you know, nonfiction for documentary S Cause that's a different, totally different style of film. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it has its own category on any streaming service you look at. So like what, what are things are you, are you starting to pick up that are totally different from, you know, the narrative side of it? Uh, I think, with with the narrative side is you have a lot more control over what you can show um so the thing with with documentaries is it's it things either things are either unfolding in front of you or you're kind of getting footage from before and you have to use it how you can so sometimes that can be limiting just because you want to show a particular angle but you want to draw it out naturally so Mm especially when you're working with, um, you know, people, you don't want to force them into an answer, but you know there's an answer that could be great to a question that you have. Um, but, you know, it is their answer. You want to make sure that they have um, full control of their story as well. Uh, with narrative work, I feel like there's a lot more control over what you can show and what is shown and um, and and kind of, like, guiding the viewer through the story and and i think that's the biggest difference um in in both aspects but i but i think one similarity that i've noticed is that in terms of storytelling with both it's it's really about the characters that you have like whether they're real or not because if if you if you give enough attention to the character and you help your audience understand them then both stories will resonate but there's a lot of, you know, narrative work that I've seen where not much attention is given to understanding the character. And the same with a lot of documentaries. It's it's more about focusing on the general topic. And sometimes you have to do that. And, and that's where sure. I think the challenge can be. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, the attention to the detail and the character piece, no matter which side you're on there with the fiction versus nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's the thing that's either going to like make or break the story. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. of course with things like documentaries, like certain times the content is less about people and it's more about, you know, the topic. But when you are engaging in that kind of storytelling, you know, people 
empathize even unconsciously with other people, right? So if you're not showing a character or demonstrating enough of that person's character, it's going to be hard for your audience to kind of pick up on what it is you're trying to doing, what what mm-hmm. it is you're trying to do with that character behaving the way they're behaving or, you know, speaking the way they're speaking, whatever it is. Um, I think that's, it's not easy to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it, that is, again, it's tough from both angles, but I think it's a little bit easier to do with fiction because you can kind of like shape your character to the story that you're telling versus with nonfiction with the documentary. It's like, yes, the character you want to kind of, you know, develop and build up this person, but you can't change anything about them because you're trying to tell a story around that character. And the story is, you know, supposed to be as truthful as possible. You can't kind of like just change something to change something mm-hmm. with the exception exactly. of, you know, you know, film angles or, you know, maybe editing sequences, little, little things like that. Sure. But, as far as like the overall picture goes, you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and I think that that's the challenge, especially with documentary work is that mm. with, with fiction, you have full control over how the character is going to kind of how comfortable the character can be and how much the character is going to reveal with documentary. It's up to you as kind of the director to, to kind of get that out of the person which can either work really well um, or it can be incredibly difficult. It just, it depends on how comfortable you make the subject and how, um, you know, how vulnerable the subject wants to be. But essentially it's, sure. it, they have full control over that and, and, you know, rightfully so. So I think it, it's an interesting challenge because as, as a person, you have to realize that it's, you're not really thinking too much about the documentary. You have to think about the conversation you're having with this person as a human being. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, you're, when you talk with other people, you can't expect them to tell you every intimate detail about them. You know, there right. has to be a relationship that's built before that can all come out. And, and I think with, especially when, with interviews and documentaries and, and getting that information like that, that stuff really comes into play there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to make, and I guess this goes in both directions, but you don't want to make the person uncomfortable, especially mm-hmm. if it's, if the topic is uncomfortable to begin with. Right. Sure. Because once you, once that happens, then the, you know, the interviewer, the interviewee, you know, you, you lose that common ground and then as a result, the story that's trying to be told is almost, it feels incomplete. Like it feels like there's a gap, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not easy to do. Uh, again, like fiction or nonfiction. Um, it's not easy to kind of build that bridge. But I think in order for a story or a narrative to work, that bridge needs to be present. Yeah, Does that make, exactly. does that make sense? No, 100%. I think that I te- definitely agree. So what are, I mean, you mentioned this briefly, but what are, um, what are some of the challenges that you're experiencing now with that transition? And you could even tie in, I, of course, you don't have to name any of your specific clients, but like mm-hmm. with your, you know, with your work for other people, like what are some challenges you're kind of experiencing now in the work that you're doing that you really didn't think of prior? So like, you know, you started, you said you started off your career with more of a fictional kind of film 
style, mm-hmm. but now you're kind of transitioning and kind of utilizing other techniques and stuff. Like what are some challenges there that you've had to have overcome or you're facing currently that you're still working on along that process? So I, I think that the, the biggest challenge is figuring out how you're going to kind of create a story before you're able to actually film it. So with, with a lot of the, the fiction work that I used to do, it was easy because you have a script and kind of everything's there and everyone's saying what they should, um, you know, with a little bit of improvisation here and there. But sure. the idea is very clear because of the script. Um, if you have a question about, you know, a certain character's desires or motivations, you can reference a script. Um, with, you know, documentary work, I think the biggest challenge, and this is something I'm still facing, but I think I would like to... S- think that I've gotten better but I don't, I don't know but um <laughs> but I think that the biggest challenge is trying to figure out the story before you even start rolling the camera and I I was taking a course recently on on kind of documentary work and the biggest thing was that you know the whole pre-production process you know um is the most important part because that's where you're going to find out a lot more about your character um before you even start filming that's where you're going to find out a lot about you know the motivation and the desire is through your personal interviews that aren't even recorded um beforehand because then it helps you you know create your questions think about your shots Mm, but it's a lot of that preparation that goes into it that you don't really think of right you think you know i'm just going to show up on the shoot day i'm going to bring my camera i'm going to have a few questions a few follow-ups but no, you actually really have to prepare beforehand, really know um, who you're talking to, which is the most important thing, and and what to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes down to that, like, you mentioned this before, like, you, you're engaging with another human being. And mm-hmm. to, it, it, this is, I find this is always tough when you look at, like, you know, celebrity interviews. Because you, sometimes you can tell, like, the person interviewing, you know, a celebrity is kind of starstruck. And they don't really know how to have a conversation with this person on a human level because, you know, I've only seen you on TV and stuff, right? Like there's, there's that line that you kind of have to get, you have to get past it and you have to kind of get beyond like who this person's reputation stands for versus like, who is this person, right? Because that, like Mm -hmm. you said, like that can make or break the story that you're trying to tell. So do you have any, do you have any tips or tricks there to kind of, I mean, you kind of mentioned it like having a conversation before the actual filming starts and takes place, but like specifically, like what, what do you do to kind of, you know, uh, build a relationship pretty much in a short term period with someone that you're going to kind of be focusing on? Um, so I think one of the, one of the biggest things is that if you want someone to be vulnerable with you, you have to be vulnerable with them as well. Mm. So, um, you know, try, try and be open with the person you're talking to. Cause if the person's always telling you, you know, intimate details about them and you're giving them nothing on your own end, um, it, it might feel a little bit awkward. So I, you know, I try whenever I talk to people, like I'm very kind of, like, I won't give every single secret. Sure, yeah. Like, I'll, you know, I'll tell them a little bit about me so that they know who I am and, and to build that trust. Because I think trust is the biggest thing. Um, and and really, I think, 
you know, trying to understand who they are and why they're doing whatever they're doing. So especially if you're, you know, interviewing a business owner, kind of trying to find out why they set up this business. And there was one technique I learned in that course where it was called the five whys. And it was just to keep asking the question why after they respond to kind of get to a more interesting, um, like more depth filled answer. Right. Um, I haven't tried it yet. I really do want to try it because I just learned it, but it's yeah, just to, I'm to keep asking. Yeah. I, I'm definitely going to try that out because um, it seems really interesting, but but yeah, I would say those two things and there was something else I had. Um, and oh, yes. And the final thing is and is to kind of always be positive and always be smiling. Um, and this is something that I've I've learned the hard way uh, is to just keep having a positive attitude attitude during any interaction, even on set. Um, there's a lot of times where because I'm a one man filmmaker I'm looking at the camera during the interview. I'm looking at the microphones to check if they're still working. Sure. And it can take your subject out of the conversation because they see your attention's not with them. Yeah. So I I guess that's a really big thing is to make sure your attention is on your subject at all times and make sure that it's positive attention. And that way they feel more comfortable. Um, But yeah, those are the few tips that I learned that I think have been really helpful or are going to be really helpful um, that I could give. Can't think of anything else at the moment. Though. No, those are, those are yeah. perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm even going to try to use them going forward on the podcast. That's how, like I, you know, the, to me, they seem, they seem like common sense, but you can also see where like, you might just, you might absentmindedly like forget to kind of include one of those aspects, right? Like, like yeah, you said absolutely. with like, you know, your attention is on the camera and the mics and the lighting and things like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not engaged with the person, but that's going to make the person feel like that you're not engaged with them because it, it, exactly. se- it seems like your attention is elsewhere, even mm-hmm. though you're trying to do like, you know, four different jobs at once, which is, it's tough as a one man show. I can relate to that as yeah. the little small press here, but it's, I can see where that can either, like you said, like either build the interview up and build the person up or kind of like just remove them from the equation. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. the worst case scenario is like you don't want that to happen because then the the conversation, the the content you're going to get out of it doesn't have the heart behind it. And of course, like we talked about from the start, like the whole reason why I enjoy your work so much is because you can always tell that the heart is there. Right. Like you have this mm-hmm. way of evoking that that passion, that emotion, even if it's, you know, even if it's just you and you're just you again, like filming like your coffee routine. Right. Like <laughs> little things like that, like it comes through in your work. Um, and that's number one, the main reason I wanted to have, have you on the show, but number two, and we, I guess we can kind of transition here. I wanted to talk about the curious society. I think that Mm -hmm. also resonated very well with me for what it is I'm trying to do with betterism with the blog and the podcast and this attitude of, you know, consistent learning and, and growth and gratitude. I feel like that aligns very well with what I'm trying to do. You know, so I kind of felt like we could kind of pick your brain and kind of talk about the growth side of things, too, as well as your work. So where did that come from? How did you get started there? What what kind of sparked the idea? What's the premise? If you were trying to pitch it to somebody, what would be your pitch? 
Um, I mean, so now the Curious Society is my company where I do a lot of my client work, but the main focus is to kind of share stories that are focusing on, you know, positivity and showing the beauty of the world. Just because, you know, in, in a lot of the experience that I've had, um, there's a lot of negativity around us and mm-hmm. we can let that affect us. Um, and, and it's really hard to kind of turn that off, I find. So what I wanted to do with the Curious Society was to create um, something where we could really kind of explore what beauty the world had to offer. Because there's so many amazing things happening around us that we don't really take stock of or really appreciate as we should. Um, And that's just because there's so many different distractions around us. Like on a side note, I actually am now on like a, like a small digital uh, minimalism cleanse. And Mm. that in itself has, has shown me so many different things about how the world around us affects us and kind of how we value our time. Yeah. Um, And so you know, realizing that I thought, you know, maybe something where we could focus on just kind of being positive and, and having and being inspired by the things around us. You know, the fact that I mean, the fact that's like, let's say a friend of yours is starting a business is 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 a remarkable thing. Like, um, it shouldn't just be seen as just like an everyday thing. But I think everything that the kind of happens around us and I know I'm not explaining this that well but but you know all these things that happen around us are more remarkable than we um than we take them on as they are and when I say we I really mean me um <laughs> but 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 in a sense mm-hmm. also we I feel like I mean I you have a very solid point there right like I feel like especially with how quickly technology kind of like consumed us right it's it's very difficult nowadays to kind of like find that silent solitude to appreciate the little things to appreciate these these things like you know your your family member starting a business or mm-hmm. you know your friend buying a house or having a child right like little things like that like so, sometimes can go unnoticed if you're not careful about separating the two things right and i'm not saying you know, you should ignore all negative things. Cause of course, like mm-hmm. we need to be aware, right? There's balance. You, you can't, there's, there's such thing as toxic positivity where you're just only focused on the positive. Right. 100%, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like today's culture tends to push us in the direction of negativity. It, it kind of feeds us that, I mean, all of the social media algorithms and stuff like they, they feed us that because it wants us to keep us engaged with that publication with Instagram with you know the guardian with whatever it is like they're they're feeding us the information because they want us to stay engaged with it but to a certain not that that's a bad thing but to a certain extent like you have to have a line for yourself to say okay no more i'm done i'm gonna set the phone down for the rest of the day you know i'm gonna go take a walk um for me like my my biggest reset is just going up and you know sticking my feet in the in the ocean here because i live along the beach like little little things like that and it's like it might seem so mundane sometimes but like little things if you learn to kind of uh, what's the word i'm looking for if you learn to kind of like appreciate i feel like that's not a strong enough word but if you learn to like appreciate those little moments 
it really changes your your worldly perspective in a sense where like you're more able to pick up on the positive things around you right like friends mm-hmm. starting a business um buying a house um starting a new relationship whatever whatever the positive thing is like you're more susceptible to pick it up if you train yourself to do so and if you're mm-hmm. not careful you fall into the trap of negativity right so with the curious society i feel like that's kind of what drew me in there is the fact that like i could see that element in your work without you even saying it <laughs> oh that i'm i'm so glad to hear that so it, well it's definitely working man like I keep yeah. going for sure so Thank what you. if what have you um i don't you know again don't feel like you have to name any of your <laughs> specific clients or anything but like what are some notables cuz that's relatively new right i want to say within the last year or two you started that yeah, in the actually um, last September, like literally September first, was when we officially. Oh, okay, uh, good. We're coming started. up on the year. So, yeah, coming up on the year. So what what are some notable projects you've had that kind of uh, I think launched you into your viewpoint? Um, I can't think of any off the spot, but um, there was actually there was I was working with an artist that I know. She's a visual artist. Um, and she does a lot of like different types. Uh, she likes to blend like different types of art into kind of one project and it looks really cool. So mm-hmm. I kind of, I asked her if, you know, she wanted to work on a video together. So we went to our university, York university, and she brought her canvas and she started, you know, doing her work and just to kind of see, you know, how she kind of gets into the process and, and watch her literally turn a blank canvas into a beautiful piece of art was just, it was just breathtaking just cause you know, like how she got herself in the zone and pretty much how it almost seemed like she just isolated herself from everything and just focused on what she was doing. It was just, it was just really cool to see that. And then afterwards I interviewed her about, you know, her work, um, you know, how she came up with, you know, her style and, and kind of any advice she had for other artists mm-hmm. and, and kind of finding that out is, especially because she's, she's a friend of mine and I didn't know this stuff before, but to find that stuff out now was, was very interesting because it gives you a new take on who this person is. Yeah. And, that's cool. And kind of, yeah, and it was really cool. Like that was definitely one of my favorite projects. One of my other favorite projects was actually just we were doing a giveaway for a winter shoot because my wife is actually a photographer as well. Um, so it was just kind of just like a couple shoot that we wanted to do, and a good friend of mine actually uh, won it, and and it was kind of like it was supposed to be a very like love story like film, but they were just, you know, so comfortable talking about, you know, their relationship and, and, and kind of, and it's not even just about what they said. It was about what they had, like the kind of feelings they had in their voice, because they were just filled with hope, filled with love, filled with excitement for the future. And, you know, if you watch that video, like I've watched that video probably 10, 15 times, but if you watch that video, you can, you can feel all those emotions. Like I'll second that. Yeah. And, and it just it affects you in a way. And, and I just, I don't know that I think that that's been my favorite project, just because, you know, getting all that out, it has always been has been my mission on every single film. And that film just, 
showed me how powerful it can be. That's a beautiful thing is the, the inspiration and emotion that comes from something so seemingly unexpected. Right. Mm -hmm. And that obviously that, that transfers into like, you know, whoever the individual is that observes that, like, you in that case like it it, obviously you absorbed it in a way that like it affected um your past and your future work right like it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of like developing more of your your style and your technique on top of just the beauty of what the actual content is right like it it has so many levels to that as i guess Mm -hmm. is what i'm trying to say and that's a beautiful thing is like if you learn to see things from that angle um you essentially are you know removing your create creative limits in that sense because mm-hmm. like you can draw in from an eclectic style of emotional output and, and content output and things like that can really kind of help shape your future work mm-hmm. absolutely i i mean personally I, I love that like i try not to limit myself with specific labels as far as like when people ask like oh what's your favorite music it's like well i like everything right like mm-hmm. you know what's your favorite who's your favorite artist it's like well you know of course i have favorites but like i like all of it because that's really what helps me grow as a as a creative and as a person is like trying to absorb absorb many different cultures right i mean that's mm-hmm. you're taking in all of these these inputs and whether or not you use them in your own work Right. If you're open to enjoying the pleasure that somebody put into and pleasure and passion, I guess, into the project like that is intoxicating. And, and it definitely spills over. Right. Whether or not you're able again, like I keep drawing back to this, but whether or not you're able to express that, like our subconscious, our unconscious are absorbing things like that. And it comes out in your future work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I can definitely see that line up with your your work, especially because that is your project. So I could definitely, that, to me, that was like, that was Mateen. Like, that was that was his work. I, I saw that and I was like, man, this guy, he gets it. He knows what he's doing. Oh, I'm so. glad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know what it was? I think it was because uh, when I was starting out, I didn't have the, you know, the newest, uh, like, gear or anything. So I figured... There has to be something else, something that's not money related that I could learn and improve on that will make my film spectacular. Yeah. And and I realized that, you know, storytelling and emotion are the two keys because, you know, a beautiful scene that's filmed really well is great. But you remember the ones that are filled with emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like, I, you know, to me, I don't know why I just thought it's but like not that I don't like superhero movies, but to me, it's like you, you look at some of these Marvel movies that have like fantastic cinematography and they have beautiful scenes and stuff, whether mm-hmm. or not they're CGI, but sometimes they're so easily forgettable is because that emotional piece is missing. And it's like the exactly. ones that stand out in my memory are like the ones that have the heavy emotion. Um, like, mm-hmm. I, I, spoiler alert, if you've never seen Endgame, but you know, when, uh, what, when they throw what's her name off the cliff? Uh, oh yes um gamora right yeah gamora. I think it's gamora when thanos throws her off it's like his own daughter right like to me in that mind in my mind like that scene is so full of emotion because of what's going on in the movie and like you know it's his own daughter essentially right but mm-hmm. then it's also shot beautifully and like i'm not like a marvel nutcase i do enjoy 
Marvel movies. I don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but like in my mind, like that's one of those scenes that like stood out among I don't know they have twenty flicks, twenty movies out, something like that. Like out of all of those movies, that one, and you know when when Tony Stark, you know, kicks the bucket, like those yeah. because the emotion is there, they stand out in my mind so much more than some of the other movies that have been around for ten years. You know, so I think that is saying a lot when you're incorporating, you know, not just the stunning technical work but also the emotional side of it too Mm -hmm, exactly and that does definitely incorporate more than just what you're seeing right there's like we were talking about the beginning of the podcast with the the auditory like there's there's things and techniques you can kind of mess with to kind of you know get where it is you're going yeah exactly and i think you know that's not just film that like every art is every you know style of art is always about kind of getting into the soul of the person yeah um yeah and i mean you know there's some beautifully written novels but you know you remember the moments that are just charged with emotion and Mm -hmm. and all that yeah those are the ones that usually stick they stick in the back of your brain you know and Mm -hmm. they like won't they won't leave it's because it's like that emotion is tied to the memory right that's how we we remember things best when there's an emotion tied to it i mean that's how that's how Ideally, in a learning in an ideal learning situation, like you want to try your best to tie a skill to a an emotion because that's how your brain kind of sticks it in there, mm-hmm. you know. So I can definitely see where that would also tie together with any kind of creative consumption. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely in there. All right, what do you say? You want to uh, transition to the rapid fire questions here? Sure, I'm ready. All right. So the first question is. What are you currently reading? Are you enjoying it? Would you recommend it? And like I said before, you are reading, quote unquote, can be taken loosely. It doesn't have to be like a physical book. But what are you consuming at the moment? So right now I'm reading a book called Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. And um, it's basically about just kind of understanding why uh, people act the way they do. And, you know, the main thesis is that people act irrationally in certain cases, but it's very predictable in how they act. And uh, it's really interesting. It it opens up a lot of things that you kind of know in the back of your head about <laughs> how we act. But when it's brought to light, you're like, oh, OK, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's very interesting to understand human psychology in that way. Uh, so 100 percent would recommend it. It's it's very interesting. <laughs> how it's a little uh, bit, yeah. Sorry, what's go ahead. The, that's okay. I was just gonna ask, um, how old is the book? Because I've never I've never heard of it, so I don't. I'm not actually familiar. not sure. I just got it from the library, and I, I can't remember ever um, borrowing it, but it just became available. So, picked um, it up. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's probably um, not too old. Maybe about. 10 years old at the most but no i don't know okay relatively yeah. modern that's good Relatively modern, yeah because like i you know for me especially as a teacher human psychology and human behavior are like the most fascinating subjects like mm-hmm. you know not that i'm anywhere near an expert in the matter but like some things like i see kids adults i see people behaving in a certain way and i'm like you know this person's doing x y and z and I know yeah. why they're doing that. And I know that they probably have no idea they're doing that, but it is absolutely fascinating that they're doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, exactly. It's like you, you read things like that and it, like it brings to light, like not only things about other people, but like yourself too. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. why do I always do this thing right after I do this other thing? It's like, you kind of, it 
shines a light on it and it gives you the opportunity to kind of like either embrace it if it's something you're proud of or try to correct it if you want to correct it you know yeah so. exactly what was the name of the author again i'm sorry uh dan Ariely. dan Ariely. okay i'll have to add that to my queue because that sounds fascinating yeah all right question two what is your favorite meal to prepare and cook either for yourself for your friends and family um, and it can be anything low key can be fancy. I don't, I don't know what style of chef you are. Cause I haven't really seen much of that besides the coffee preps, but, uh, what do you, uh, what are you cooking these days? Typically. So like my, my go-to is it's just simple, just chicken and rice with hot sauce. Um, like I love chicken shawarma. Unfortunately I can't make it that well. So I just <laughs> resort to just of any type of chicken and rice. If there's chicken and rice i'll yeah. like that's that's usually what i'm making like all the time yeah i, I think my wife is is sick of chicken so <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah but that's that's typically what i make for for others yeah i'll probably make that too but i, I anytime someone comes to my house i always offer them coffee because that's like the thing that i love making yeah and there's so many different ways to make uh, well, I guess both. There's so many different ways to make the chicken and rice, but also the coffee as well. Yeah. Well, so when you ha- so for coffee, how do you serve it? Um. So like I I make drip coffee. So typically, um, like I'll I'll just uh, like I have it with cream and sugar. Okay. Uh, I'm not a purist, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> typically, yeah, that, that's how I'll have it. Just a simple drip coffee that I make in my Chemex and uh, just I'll, I'll make an, a massive cup, like about 400 grams worth of coffee. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very big cup. I sometimes question that decision, but we <laughs> unfortunately, because my wife is a tea drinker, we have massive mugs. So I thought just, you know, it Why doesn't not? make sense. Yeah, exactly. You fill it up to the top. Doesn't make sense to, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. keep it halfway. So, right. so yeah. So it's always just, you know, just with cream and sugar. Um, if I want to add like cinnamon or nutmeg, I will if I if I want to be Ooh. fancy. But yeah. 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 But that, that's pretty that. much it. That's fancy. And, <laughs> and so it's like, do you, is that like a daily thing? You do that every day? Uh, like make coffee. Well, yeah, make coffee, but mm-hmm. I'm saying like you have that much that like you have a giant mug drip pour every single day. Is that like your standard routine? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I no, mean, it's not I'm, a bad thing. I'm just, I was yeah. just curious. No, no, I it's it's because I know it's a lot of coffee and I've been trying to cut down. But um, but yeah, no, now it's been about 400 grams worth of coffee. Before it used to be like half of that, but now it's it's. <laughs> it's it's gone to a really high amount. It's the creative fuel. I've, yeah. I find too, like with my, I am very conscious of the, uh, my caffeine intake. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my father is up to, I think he drinks like, I don't know, like eight or nine, 12 ounce cups a day. And like, you oh, know, he, wow. he's the kind of guy like now, you know, he's an older guy now he's in his sixties, late sixties. So it's like, he, he gets headaches if he doesn't drink coffee. And like mm-hmm. he, before he goes to bed, he has to have a cup of coffee or otherwise he can't sleep because of the headache. And like, I, I love my father. Don't get me wrong, but like, I could, I see that happening and I'm like, I, I cannot have that much coffee. I don't want to turn into that to the point where my body becomes dependent on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I try to limit mine. I mean, there's definitely been days when I've had as much as you are, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> do that daily. Cause I, you know, it, it worries me. 
And I'm also listeners give you a little preference. Like I'm a small human. I'm only five, six. I weigh like 140 pounds. So like that is a very large cup of coffee for me. Whereas maybe your normal size human, not so much, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely get those. If I haven't had coffee for one day, I I get those headaches. So that's why I pretty much have to have it every day. But yeah, it's it's not fun knowing that if you don't have a cup, you're going to get headaches. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, even during, so like I brought up the month of Ramadan before where we fast, um, the first two days I'm hit with a coffee headache really badly to the point where when we break our fast, I can't even eat because the head, the headache is so bad. Um, but this year I found a solution for that by drinking coffee at night. So the day before I'll have a coffee in the morning and a coffee at night, but then of course your sleep isn't normal. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So (laughs) No real big solution, but <laughs> it worked. Do you? Hey, do you do you, uh, do you go over that in your in the documentary at all? Or are you planning to go over that in the documentary at all? I don't. I don't actually. I think I don't know if I brought it up, but I probably might include that now that you mentioned it. Just because, especially because I mean, you were saying like the whole point of it is that it, this this year is, was different than previous years. I'm curious mm-hmm. to see if if there's any kind of correlation between the caffeine intake you know, and the fast itself. <laughs> there probably was for sure. Yeah. I know I can't, I the, the sleeping like that. I can't do. Mm-hmm. I, if I have a cup of coffee anytime, like after like four or five in the afternoon, I am up till like one o'clock in the morning. And then the next day is just miserable. Like I, I can't oh, handle that. <laughs> yeah. I recently read that if you have um, coffee like 10 hours, because the half life is like 10 hours. So if you yeah. have it, 10 hours before you like after before you go to sleep within that period it affects your sleep and i'm like wow okay so this has been affecting my sleep for years yeah right now i try to have yeah only just come to fruition yeah exactly i definitely noticed that like there are definitely days you know it'll be a long teaching day for me and i'm getting home a couple hours late but then i come home and i still have to like you know do normal adult stuff like chores Mm -hmm. and stuff or whatever and i'm like man i need a cup of coffee and i'm gonna regret this tomorrow morning but like in order to get these things done i need to do it you know (laughs) yeah i I can understand where that both sides of that kind of comes from but certainly not my preference yeah so i totally agree i don't know coffee it's the lifeblood. I also enjoy tea, though. You know, to, to uh, kudos to your wife. Um, I've been trying to transition. So instead of having like two cups of coffee a day or three mm-hmm. cups, I'll take that second or third cup and I'll try to do it with some sort of caffeinated tea. So like green oh, tea nice. or herba mate or something like that. Well, that's good. Yeah, I've heard herba mate is amazing. I haven't really had a chance to try it, but I've heard that's I don't, really good. You know, so that's one of those things. It's like I'm learning about different ways to brew tea and stuff as well now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've only really done like the boiling water, which uh, apparently with herba mate, you're not it, – it doesn't have full effects if you do it that way. There's like a specific way you're supposed to like pour it and sip it versus just, you know, your standard like kettle. Um mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting. I'm not, you know, in the middle of a move, it's kind of hard to do that. But yeah, it's kind of interesting to see like the different ways to even coffee, like different ways you can prepare and serve, you know, the coffee bean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the tea leaf, whatever it is. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, it very is. Very much is. So 
Well, there's your next segment. I don't mean to impose, yeah. but you can do a whole tea <laughs> segment right there. <laughs> yeah, I I think that would be fun too, actually. Different, different, uh, different tea leaves and stuff. I feel like yeah. that'd be fascinating. Anyway, a little off track. Um, okay, <laughs> third question: What's what is one life lesson you would like to pass on to our listeners today? Um, it can be from the conversation, or it can be something you've just been living your life by. But you got any advice? Um, I think I have, I have, I think maybe two pieces of advice. One is not mine and one is. Okay. Can I share both? Yeah, that's a good balance. Yeah, okay. So the, the first one's from me and that's, um, you know, if, if you're thinking about doing anything creative, don't think too much about it. Just jump into it because the more you think about it, the more you think yourself out of doing it mm. and that that comes from personal experience yeah and gotta and get the to second, the flow yeah exactly um and and the second thing um is actually i can't remember who said it. i think it was greg mckeon but he said that you know um and this is something that i've realized recently is that you know if you don't prioritize your own time someone else will and so true yeah, I love that quote just because, you know, like it, it's because uh, he's all about essentialism and learning to, you know, kind of um, live like when you say no to one thing, you're saying yes to something else and vice versa. Right. And and prioritizing your own life before, you know, focusing on work too much. And his story is amazing. Uh, he has a really good interview with Matt Diavella on YouTube. It's definitely worth checking out. But right. that quote really got to me is that, you know, if you don't prioritize your own time, someone else will. And, you know, that's really shaped how I structure my time now. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially for any creative, you mm-hmm. know, a lot, a lot of times, especially with writing, writing is very time consuming. And yes. um, that resonates with I think it's a JK Rowling quote, which is like, you have to you have to defend your writing time. Otherwise, it's going to be absorbed by something else, right? Like, you have to prioritize, like you're saying, and, and kind of like keep like keep that block to yourself because it it will so quickly be consumed by another responsibility or another, you know, um, person's agenda, whatever it may be. So exactly. it's, it, it's 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 that's a tough call because you have to learn how to say no to things, which is not easy for everybody. I definitely yeah. struggle with that. But, oh, I struggle with it too. Yeah, it's it's very hard. Yeah, and like the bottom line there is like, I mean, like saying no doesn't make you a jerk. You know, as much mm-hmm. as it makes you feel like you're being a jerk, you know, as long as you're not a jerk about saying no, you do it in a polite, respectful way. Like it's okay to say no to things. You have to protect exactly. yourself. You know, it's not mm-hmm. not your whole life doesn't have to be selfless. Like there is a piece. I always say it's like how can you how can you spread love if you're too busy not uh, I'm sorry how can you spread love if you're mentally unstable to the point where like you can't even focus on yourself right like you have to you have to be mentally stable your own in your own head in order to spread love as best you can yeah that's very true you know what I mean so yeah. I don't know all right my team well thank you for your time today it's been a very insightful conversation where can uh, listeners find you online what are your channels and outlets so they can uh, check out your work I- I'm mostly on Instagram, so that's at Mateen Manic, my full name. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't really post anywhere else other than there, so Instagram is the best place. Yep, that's where you share a lot of your your 
moving and inspiring work. I will say that. Yes, thank you. I appreciate um, that. When is the, so this might be too soon of a question, but when is the mm-hmm. documentary, when are you aiming to get that out? I know you said before the end of the year, but do you have like a set date in the calendar? Unfortunately, I don't, but I'm hoping uh, possibly no- uh, November. Okay. If- it's a good I'm buffer being period. Optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Worst comes to worst, it gets pushed off to 2021. Yeah, exactly. Which... I want to make sure it's perfect before we release it. Yeah. And especially yeah. with content like that, like you want mm-hmm. it to be heartfelt, which again, I understand that's where you come from. So mm-hmm. it's good. All right, yeah. man. Well, it's been real. Uh, we will connect in the future and then we'll have to get you on for round two. Once oh, for sure. Down. I would I would love to come back. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. Definitely yeah. once the uh, Curious Society starts to take off a little more. It would be awesome yeah. to see what else you learned along the way. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, it's been real. Perfect. We'll talk later. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Anytime. All right. Well, that's it, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to swing through again. If you'd like to reach out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at medium.com slash betterism. Be better at whatever it is you're building. And remember, friends, stay learning.